Welcome to China Perspectives, a podcast on economic and credit developments in China, featuring experts from within and outside of Fitch Ratings. My name is Andrew Fennell, head of Greater China Sovereigns at Fitch Ratings. Today, I'm pleased to introduce Tara Joseph, president of the American Chamber of Commerce in Hong Kong. Before joining AmCham in early 2017, Tara had a long career as a journalist with Reuters across both Europe and Asia. We are delighted to have her on the podcast, particularly as she will soon be stepping down from her role at the chamber in order to take on a new position back in the United States. Tara, thank you for being with us. Thanks so much for having me, Andrew. Today, we're here to discuss Hong Kong and its evolving business climate. As president of the largest international chamber in the city and someone who I understand has spent more than 20 years living here, I have to say I very much look forward to hearing your perspectives and insights. Thank you. Now, to get started, could you tell us a little bit about the history and the founding mission of the American Chamber of Commerce in Hong Kong, and perhaps whether this mission is still the same today? Absolutely. Um, AmCham was founded over 50 years ago. In fact, we had a big 50th anniversary celebration just before COVID, when the economy was booming and everyone was super optimistic. Um, the mission of the chamber when it was founded was pretty straightforward. It was to foster trade between the United States, Hong Kong, and China, and also to enhance Hong Kong's stature as an international business center. Now, looking back 50 years, of course, China was not nearly as open as it is today, and Hong Kong was really the hub as well as the gateway for American companies doing business in China. So that opportunity to get into China was also foremost on people's minds, as well as really building Hong Kong as a hub to have a headquarters for the Asia region. Okay, that's that's interesting, and, and thank you for that bit of fascinating history. Uh, so is the mission essentially the same today, or has it had to evolve and adapt as China has grown in size and stature? Yeah, the mission is essentially the same today. And of course, the American business community remains very, very large. There are about 85,000 Americans in Hong Kong, several thousand U.S. companies. The U.S. companies have one of the biggest presence of all nations in Hong Kong. I think one area which is up for discussion and grabs, along with the mission of AmCham, we have the values that AmCham holds dear. And those values are free flow of information and data, rule of law, transparency and good corporate governance, and also a real sense that business needs to continue with a lot of open discussion in a very open environment. Now, I'm a little concerned given the national security law and some of the other things that we've seen in Hong Kong over the last few years, that these missions and values may get watered down, but they are so enshrined in how we operate at the chamber, it will be really interesting to see how that continues going forward. 
Thank you for that background. I do indeed want to dive into a recent survey that you conducted among your members here in Hong Kong. But before we pivot to that, could you maybe just give a very brief snapshot of what the membership pool looks like for AmCham in Hong Kong? Some people might have the impression that it's just American firms. I don't know if there's a specific industry focus, but maybe just a few points or, or, or background in that regard. Sure. So uh, the chamber is not only American companies. Um, again, part of our openness is about being diverse and open-minded about our membership. And so while we are more than 50% American um, and more than 50% American um, representation on our board, we do have companies uh, from Hong Kong. We have British, Australian, French, Japanese companies also involved in AmCham. Unsurprisingly, our largest segment in AmCham is the financial services sector, which makes over just about 15% of membership. But once you add in um, consultants and accountants and lawyers who are associated with the financial services sector, it definitely gets to about 50% of our membership. Um, We also have very large representation in the sourcing sector or apparel, footwear, and um, supply chain. Hong Kong has long been a hub, a global hub for sourcing, and that continues to be the case, although that's probably an area where there is more concern than anywhere else. And we also have uh, tourism, we have manufacturers, we have an increasing amount of membership in startups and also in technology. I joined MCHAM in 2017. We only had a very small tech committee called the ICT committee. Now the tech committee is one of our biggest and strongest groups, largely based around the fact that tech is involved in everything and everywhere uh, in every part of the world. So that's an exciting aspect of things. And last but not least, um, we are very focused on the future of work. And we changed our human resources committee to focus on the future of work. And we do have representation in the chamber of folks who are involved in that kind of work as well. Okay, well, thank you for that background and perspective. I guess I have to say that my takeaway is that it really does sound like a very good representation of Hong Kong's international business community. I mean, the pillars that you talked about, financial services and logistics, are obviously some of the key drivers of Hong Kong's economy. So I guess with that in mind, I would be very curious to speak a little bit about the business sentiment survey that you recently conducted among your members, and maybe just a little bit of background about the impetus behind the survey itself. Is this something that you do every year, or was it done on an ad hoc basis, uh, possibly in response to some of the very dramatic socio-political changes we've seen here in Hong Kong in recent years. You named the national security law earlier on in our conversation, and more recently, what clearly continue to be some of the most onerous pandemic-related restrictions in the world today. Absolutely. It has been a real hope of mine to ensure that we do survey our members regularly. And we started um, putting together a survey that would be an annual survey, uh, working with a survey firm to make sure it's done um, in the best way possible, etc., with good statistics and input. The thing is, Hong Kong started to run away with us, and we had to gauge uh, the understanding of what our members are thinking. And just as you say, we started to have 
protests in 2019. We had COVID, we had the national security law, and things were getting a little bit crazy. And we really felt like we wanted to understand what our members were thinking about. So we started doing temperature testing surveys uh, to get a quick sense of how our members were doing and what they were thinking about. And then we did another survey, the one that you mentioned in late 2021, working with a professional firm to really gauge the business sentiment moving into 2022 with all of these factors very much alive, COVID, uh, national security law, and political change. So I can tell you about uh, what that survey really told us, but I'm afraid while we did it in 2021, it happened before the real measures on COVID lockdowns became sort of institutionalized in Hong Kong and caused a lot of general panic and stress amongst the international community. But already by then, in late 2021, the survey told us that Hong Kong still has a very strong place as an international financial center, and companies see that there are opportunities to make money in Hong Kong. It is uh, a good financial hub because of its infrastructure, because uh, of its tax structure, and previously because of its connectivity. But what the survey really started to show was a few things. First of all, up to 44% of our members, I think that's the exact statistic, were considering leaving Hong Kong at the time. And that's because the changes were profound and starting to really impede on the comfort and pleasure and connectivity of living in Hong Kong, and it was causing a lot of stress. So Hong Kong was always considered an expensive place to be, but that value um, was there in terms of the ability to get business done, to travel and live comfortably. But that came out as something that was very obviously changing in Hong Kong. And that statistic corroborates with other chambers and other organizations who've done similar surveys, and with our previous surveys. Now, I think by now that statistic has changed. The percentage of people who have left, who are thinking of leaving, has gone up significantly. The other interesting aspect of the survey, from my perspective, is really about rule of law. Um, rule of law underlines the strength of Hong Kong and a reason why so many businesses are there. Rule of law uh, still looks to be quite intact when it comes to contract law and any need to visit court in Hong Kong. However, there's a growing pessimism over rule of law, uh, according to the survey, that people are expecting things to decline in the next three years. Um, and that optimism is, is starting to evaporate. And that's deeply concerning. Interesting. Well, there's really a lot there to unpack. So maybe I'll start with one follow-up question related to the pandemic, which is here in, in the Hong Kong community, clearly there's a lot of talk of departures, a lot of talk of people moving to other locations. Uh, were you able to capture any of that sentiment in the survey? Is there any evidence that firms do have concrete plans to relocate headquarters outside of Hong Kong? And if so, uh, did they mention you know, what destinations they were taking into consideration? The one thing that was extremely obvious in the survey, and again corroborates with things we've seen in the past, 
is that Singapore by far is seen as the replacement destination, if there can be one, for international companies. And that stands out. I think in our survey, it was about 80% of those who thought about where they would go, Singapore was up there. In terms of really being able to gauge how companies are dealing uh, with the new normal or the stresses that we've seen in Hong Kong, it's very, very foggy and difficult. There are no companies, honestly, of big international firms who have gone out to announce that they're picking up and leaving Hong Kong. We've seen a couple of bigger companies. VF, the sourcing company, is one example who has picked up and moved to Singapore. But the other firms are really working on backup plans or quietly moving different departments and different areas of their business to other places. And there's no big announcements, no big trumpeting of this type of thing. It's sort of a slow creep away and outward. Individuals who are involved in research are another group of people who've been a little bit louder about leaving Hong Kong because they're concerned about being able to do their work there. But unfortunately, it is really hard to grasp it but I think you would probably agree with me as someone who's sitting in Hong Kong, there has been this sort of slow diaspora away and certain departments, certain groups of people leaving. Last but not least, we've seen executives not being replaced in Hong Kong because people don't want to come there. And I think that's something else we can talk about. Interesting. Well, I can certainly say from the economic data, from the latest census that was published, it's very clear that there has been an exodus of people, a decline in Hong Kong's population. And if you look at actually the age breakdown, it's overwhelmingly working age population that's leaving Hong Kong. It appears that the elderly groups are still rising, but I guess just underscoring that people are leaving for perhaps employment opportunities outside of the city. I think you're right there. For example, in our companies, uh, especially after the national security law, uh, we would hear that Hong Kong middle to senior managers, Hong Kong residents and locals would just resign and leave because of their concerns about things going forward. What I'm alluding to is the major international firms have not come out to trumpet that they're leaving. They're being very careful about that. And maybe just one last follow-up question on this topic. Without the benefit of a, a new weekly survey, I guess it's pretty hard for you to get the pulse on the situation. But since the beginning of this year, we've obviously had the fifth wave, which has been the largest and most devastating outbreak of COVID that Hong Kong has experienced throughout the pandemic on one hand. And then on the other hand, just this last week, the government has announced uh, some partial relaxation of some of the most onerous restrictions. So do you have any sense of how where business sentiment stands today? I think um, people are a little bit uh, relieved to see the government start to come out and recognize that the lack of connectivity and the strict quarantine measures have pushed people too far. However, it's a bit of a day late and a dollar short in many senses. I do know many people who've already left. And by the time you resettle, why would you want to go back? Um, it's, it's a little bit too much. And also just a concern, we've seen the Hong Kong government flip-flop quite a few times. Um, there's no roadmap, a clear roadmap about how Hong Kong is going to live with COVID. 
and how they're going to get uh, things back on track. So overall, people are a little less stressed, but still quite dubious about how Hong Kong is handling the measures. Yeah, I guess the best example of that is that last July, I was in the United States and managed to come back with just one week quarantine. Then over since that time, it went up to two and then three, and now we're back to one. So I guess there's a little bit of uncertainty about uh, what the future holds in that regard, Um, much like the pandemic itself, I suppose. I guess moving past the pandemic, you did also touch on rule of law questions uh, that appeared in your survey and are are certainly top of mind for many companies. Were you able to detect any specific drivers for these changing perceptions towards Hong Kong's rule of law? Well, I think the area that's most obvious is with the national security law. A special court was established with its own judges and really able to operate outside the specter of two systems or special administrative region. And with arrests taking place for those who were protesting or anyone who had seemed politicized, etc., that started to make people go, well, if this can happen here, what happens if there's a Chinese state-owned enterprise um, who has an argument with an international company, what could happen here? So it's really starting to jump ahead and think about really in the long term with the national security law and the idea that one country and national security is so important, where do you draw the line? And at some point that could start to become eroded. We've also seen those who are more activist uh, within the barrister groups, those who are more outspoken, really not being accepted, visas being denied to come to Hong Kong, etc. And that starts to, to sow doubt in people's minds. But again, this is all kind of circumspect because it's just a, a pessimism about the direction in which things are going before 2047, when the 50 years of the special administration region is up. There is one more area in rule of law that people should be watching closely, and that is, it's a little bit uh, in-depth, but it's about the arbitration system here in Hong Kong. A lot of Chinese companies and major multinationals would have contracts and still do, where if there is a disagreement, it is written into the contract that arbitration will take place in Hong Kong. We have seen some companies writing that out of their contracts because they are concerned about arbitration taking place in Hong Kong and whether it will be fair. Now, if you look at the statistics, there's still a lot of arbitration that takes place in Hong Kong, but how long will that last? That's another issue up for discussion and one that I'm looking at quite closely now in terms of trying to gauge the future. I wanted to also, while I have you, talk a little bit about U.S.-China relations and tensions. I know that you took a trip to Washington, D.C. late last year to discuss tensions with, I believe, a lot of relevant bodies, including government officials, academics, business leaders, etc. And it was also featured as a question on your latest survey. Would you mind sharing a little bit about the key takeaways from your trip to Washington, D.C.? Yes. um, First of all, in the survey, and I forgot to mention this to you earlier, you know, the U.S.-China tensions, growing friction really does have an effect as well on people's view of how Hong Kong is caught in the middle, and it will really 
be there for some time and cause stresses as far as our businesses go, who also know there are a lot of opportunities in China and want to take part in that. As far as Hong Kong goes in Washington, there is a lot of disappointment, a lot of frustration of the direction in which Hong Kong has taken. And we've seen that in legislation over the last few years. We had the Hong Kong Human Rights and Democracy Act. Hong Kong youth and the U.S. have had a very special relationship. A lot of that has been unpacked. And the U.S. really sees Hong Kong as China. And so really, as far as discussing Hong Kong, it's a very different conversation now than it was several years ago when I first started going to Hong Kong. And there's a lot of disappointment and sadness around that. I think people in Washington do recognize the importance of Hong Kong as a business hub and recognize that issues making it difficult for U.S. companies to operate in China will also impact Hong Kong and worries about that because, of course, for U.S. companies, not being able to operate comfortably in mainland China and in Hong Kong is bad for business. But politics reigns these days, especially vis-a-vis China, and of course, Russia now in um, Washington, there's a lot of frustration over where Hong Kong has gone and increasing concern about Taiwan and whether Taiwan is next. That's where the discussion has moved in terms of Hong Kong. It's like, well, Hong Kong has become China. So now what's going to happen? And what are we going to do if this happens in Taiwan as well? When you say that they view Hong Kong as China, well, Hong Kong returned to China in 1997, so it has been China for a very long time. Is it really more about policymaking? And they're calling to question the existence of the one country, two systems framework or uh, taking a view that it's no longer as relevant as it was in the past? I mean, how would you sort of synthesize the opinion that you took back from those discussions? Absolutely. And yes, Hong Kong is China. It's one country uh, from 1997. But there were a lot of agreements in the international treaty between China and the Brits and the Americans, etc., that were going to ensure that certain freedoms and areas of a special administrative system, i.e. two systems, would continue until 2047. And the U.S. government feels like those have been infringed. That treaty has been infringed. They did write unusually, State Department and several other major uh, departments in the federal government did put out a business warning to businesses saying, you may not find that you can operate the way you could. There are some concerns here. There are some problems here. That frustrated the heck out of American businesses situated in Hong Kong, but raised a lot of alarm bells and shows where the federal government is in terms of how they see Hong Kong has evolved. And you mentioned that in the survey, members indicated that they were weary of these rising Sino-U.S. tensions um, in, in recent years, which are increasingly protracted in nature. Do they comment as to whether it's having a concrete impact on their business operations here in the city, or is it more just a rising discomfort with the impression that there's no end in sight to these tensions? Well, if we think about back before the U.S.-China tensions hit a real block 
around the time of the Trump administration, etc. There was this kind of feeling of glee, right? Ah, U.S. and China, the trade is amazing. There's so many opportunities. Everyone was rushing in. It just seemed like a such an obvious uh, place to go, despite some of the concerns that one would have. But now it's harder going on both sides. There's worries about tit for tat over sanctions. There's worries about regulatory changes on both sides. There's worries about the ability to go in and out. There's worries about what China considers foreign interference when it comes to Hong Kong and China. Businesses overall are willing to live with this because they recognize that trade between U.S. and China is hugely important and there are opportunities and their goal is to trade just like AmCham's uh, main mission is to foster trade. So what I think the survey really points out is that people are willing to continue trying to find a way to make sure they can trade and do business, but it's harder going. It's a little bit of an uphill walk, climbing a mountain on some days as opposed to having a, a nice little bike ride on a flat terrain. Certainly. That's a very good visual metaphor of, of what's happening, I suppose. Maybe one last question on this topic. It really sounds like there's no shortage of challenges. We talked about the pandemic. Uh, we've talked about rule of law. We've talked about Sino-U.S. tensions. I mean, the, the list is, is really quite long of challenges. I wouldn't want to overlook some of the strengths and opportunities that Hong Kong continues to offer international firms. So maybe in your own opinion or based on your surveys with membership of AmCham in Hong Kong, what is keeping firms still here in the city despite these mounting challenges? Good idea. And there's been so much focus on the problems in Hong Kong. There really is still a fair amount of glass half full and, and opportunities. I think first and foremost, Andrew, is really looking at Hong Kong's financial infrastructure and its system. Despite everything that's happened politically, despite COVID and the lack of connectivity that people are facing, We've really seen that the financial infrastructure has remained intact. There is very little to almost no complaints about Hong Kong's de facto central bank, the HKMA, and how well they run the system in Hong Kong. Hong Kong has plenty of reserves. It has the U.S. dollar peg, um, which makes it uh, very well suited to international trade and international movements between the U.S. and China. And that, in, that golden goose, as I call it, has remained largely untouched despite everything that's happened. So the flows of money are there and still exist. As I like to say sometimes, Money and financial flows don't need to wear a mask. They don't need to undergo quarantine. And a lot of people are finding that they are still able to trade. Hong Kong also, because of its physical proximity to the rest of China, is a very obvious spot for Hong Kong to be the window of the world to Chinese finance um, and Chinese companies going out. And that hasn't changed. And no matter what happens to Hong Kong in terms of competition from other financial centers, its physical proximity will not change. You can't just move it. <laughs> you know, that's one thing. 
And also, if you look at other major financial centers in Asia, Singapore being the one that's touted most of the time, it does not have nearly the strength of financial infrastructure or the stock market or the market cap that Hong Kong has. So that does need to be remembered. It is very important. It also needs to be watched to see if there are any changes there, because that could really impact Hong Kong. And do you think those strengths are are sufficient to ensure Hong Kong's continuing role as a truly cosmopolitan and international finance and commercial center? Because I suppose one counterpoint could be that, as you say, money can flow all around the world. It could fulfill that role as a financial center and a very important one and be less cosmopolitan and be less international, have fewer international businesses. I don't know if you have any thoughts on this. I think um, it is very dependent on Beijing and the Chinese leadership to watch and see how they maintain Hong Kong as an international hub. If they continue to ensure that the golden goose, again, as I call it, is left ring-fenced to operate the way it's operating, that the dollar peg is left untouched, that the Hong Kong Stock Exchange and related organizations are really allowed to think internationally, then Hong Kong really does have a very good chance of maintaining its role as a very cosmopolitan and important commercial hub. That's a very, very important space to watch. Before you go, Tara, I was wondering if you might be in a position to share with us a little bit about your upcoming plans or what kind of role you intend to take on back in the United States, where it looks like you've just recently relocated to. Sure, happy to do so. And uh, I think like many people who've worked in China in many years and have been in Asia for many years, when I returned to the States, I thought, well, maybe I should do something different. But I have such a passion for Asia and um, a lot of experience there. And I would like to help U.S. companies navigate the increasingly complex field of doing business in China. So I'm going to a company called Strategy Risks, and our mission is really to provide due diligence and screening mostly of supply chains. So I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, It's a hot industry, particularly because of the legislation that is coming down in the U.S. on forced labor and other areas of doing business in China. And so I look forward to staying in touch with people in Hong Kong and, of course, with the Chamber going forward. Okay. Well, we also look forward to staying in touch with you. And thank you very much for all of your insights and perspectives, not just on this podcast, but uh, over the years uh, during our discussions. Andrew, thanks so much and look forward to staying in touch with you and Fitch. Okay. Take care. You've been listening to Fitch Ratings China Perspectives podcast. To learn more about our ratings and research on China, visit us at fitchratings.com. Please subscribe via iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take care and until next time.